Yes, but I did my nervous poo, so. Kia ora, welcome to Dirty Dirty Talk. This is a podcast for talking about what matters from a uniquely Kiwi perspective. I'm Bex, and I'll be co-hosting this pod with Mike. Hello. <laughs> I'm Mike. In this week's episode, we will give a rundown on what's happening in the news. Then we're going to zoom in on Level 4 Lockdown, the shit show that is Afghanistan, and some lockdown cooking advice. So this week, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, Bex, but New Zealand's entered another lockdown. Mm-hmm, yep. I have noticed. And I'm, I'm going to guess that anybody who's listening to this is probably already aware of that. So I'm going to keep this, what do you call it, this, uh, this brief summary quite short. Basically, experts are thinking that there are going to be about 120 cases as of 19th of August, which is the day of recording. Wait, or is it the day before or after? Okay, about that time. Um, so if there's 120 cases that come up, we're kind of in a bit of a shit, really. Mm. Like, which basically means that the one-week lockdown will actually last for a lot longer than that. So that's mm. just the first part that we're kind of like... I mean, everything else we will know. Like, I don't know, like, wash your hands and shit, like, blah, blah, blah. Um, the other interesting thing of note is that there's been some protests. Unsurprisingly, some people have decided to blame the lack of vaccine uptake for the community transmission. And some people, like me and you, I'm just grabbing my drink, <laughs> getting drunk as hell as we speak. Actually, that's us. Good times, New Zealand. Finchin, where's it? Where's it? Where's All right. I'll cheers to that. Well, moving right on to another failure of epic proportions. The withdrawal of international military forces from Afghanistan has paved the way for the Taliban to take over and make people's lives a living hell. After 20 years of a war that was never going to be won, let's face it, we have people clinging onto military planes out of pure desperation to flee the tyranny that lies ahead. Over 20 million people are in need of assistance, with 30% of the population facing food insecurity, and hundreds of thousands already displaced. New Zealand has vowed to bring home at least 37 nationals who supported the New Zealand Defence Force, but Amnesty International and others alike are pleading for New Zealand to do more. And I hope they do, Mike. Yeah, that's pretty depressing mm, shit, eh? It is. So New Zealand set itself heavily to the glory of Lord of the Rings. You've heard of that? I have. It's like 20 years of this shit, but anyway, <sighs> whatever. Um, but in the, in the past few days... Um, Amazon has basically decided to bail out of New Zealand. So there'll be a lot of people who's like, you know, tied New Zealand's sort of national glory with this fucking thing. I get it. I kind of get it. But also like it's all whatever. Um, apparently, according to Amazon, it was based on a couple of reasons. Chiefly among them was wanting to use the infrastructure they've already established in the UK. But I think something to do with MIQ. Although they never fucking say that. Like straight up. <laughs> I mean, it, it's... I, just randomly as an aside, what happens, what would happen, would, would it be a different sort of scenario if there was no MIQ in, in New Zealand or if it was a lot looser? I don't know. Um, they've apparently employed about 1,500 full-time jobs. This is during season one, like filming, and spent around $650 million. Should New Zealand have given Amazon and Lord of the Rings even more of a tax break? Only time will tell. Well, this is all sounding a bit fucking hopeless, if you ask me. Yeah. So here's a bit of feel-good news for you. As of today, the Reserve Bank is now forecasting that house prices will fall in every quarter, starting from the final quarter of next year, 
all the way through to the third quarter of 2024. Hallie fucking Luya. Let's hope they're right. The average house price in New Zealand, and this is in Auckland, this is all of New Zealand, is just over $900,000. $900,000. That's crazy. In other words, a monumental shit show for anyone trying to get into the housing market. The current housing prices are simply unsustainable, and if it means a drop in equity for the haves, so that the have-nots, that's us, Mike, yep. can get a thin slice of the cake, hey, so be it. I don't know. There's so much on that. Mm. Like, it's... it's. <clears throat> I just... I just... I get depressing every... Like, I get depressed every time I think about it. There's kind of like a small amount of good news. Although if you just buy a house in the past year, you're thinking, fuck, not so good. In fact, I know somebody where we mentioned that little story and, um, you know, you could see their sort of guts sort of swell in their stomach a little bit. Like, oh shit, am I going to negative equity or something like that? Yeah. Um, let's, that's all the sort of stuff that's going on like briefly in a, in a, in a, in a nutshell. Let's um, have a little yarn about what's going on. So, Bex, I just so obviously there's a new um, lockdown was sort of came up last night, blah blah blah. blah. And I gotta say, because I've just come back from Japan, Mm -hmm. spending three years in Japan, or a little bit less than. I did a lockdown in 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 in, uh, Japan, and this is kind of my first New Zealand style lockdown. I would say it's kind of different. It's it's pretty different. How is it different? Well, this is a lockdown. Like, it's actually... You're locking down. So, I mean, the thing about it for me is... So, we we, we, we watched the, um, you know, the, the Jacinda and Ashley Bloomfield show last night. And Tomoko, uh, my wife, was like, hey, this is pretty cool. Like, it sounds weird mm. because we're about to lock the whole fucking country down for, like, you know, at least a week. But she said, this is very clear and concise, articulate um, mm. sort of situation that we find ourselves in. Well, they've, they've expressed themselves. Um, and as a result, there was no kind of, like, um, there was no second guessing what they're up to there was no hum, hums and ha's it was very 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 sort of like straight and direct to the point mm. i don't know what do you think i must say and i might be biased but i feel pretty bloody proud to be in a country like new zealand where we have leadership who is so articulate like you said who have direction who give us assurance I remember when Jacinda was asked if she feels scared in the first lockdown. That was the very first level four lockdown. And she said, no, because we have a plan and we're going to stick to it. She's just like, oh, I don't, yeah. it's fine. It's just, you know, I mean, obviously there was anxiety. This was something really new for us. New Zealanders, we sometimes have this mentality that we are different from the rest of the world and that issues that impact on others don't make their way to little old New Zealand. And so this was quite um, a big thing for us as Kiwis to have to get through. But having someone like Jacinda and the government um, making us feel like they have a plan and they have a way forward was, in my opinion, really reassuring. It's like kind of a security, right? Yeah. Because if your your leadership shows sort of like confidence and strength, then the rest of the country can quite easily fall behind that, right? Mm, Yeah. So tell me... 
What's new about this lockdown compared to the previous ones? I mean, how many months has it been since the last one that Auckland's been into? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I wasn't here for that. When, how long has it been? So we have had a couple of lockdowns, level three lockdowns, mm. but this is the first level four lockdown since March of last year. Okay. So this is a big deal, and that's really interesting. So wait, question. wait, 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 wait. It's been like more than a year mm, since a level four lockdown. So there was a lot. There was a level three lockdown when. There's been a couple of level three lockdowns. So there was the last one was at the beginning of the year and around Feb. Mm. So we had a level three lockdown for Auckland. Yeah. Um, But this is the first time since March of last year that the whole country is going into a full level four lockdown. That's right. So it's the first time basically since the start of the pandemic where it's like, all right, all right, all right, kids. That's it. No more school. Shutting down. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, getting back to your question about the difference, I've been having a think about this actually. And something I've noticed is a lot less resistance. Resistance from the public, but also from the opposition party. We haven't seen the same discourse, narrative saying, oh, we shouldn't be shutting down. It's bad for the economy. Actually, most people, including the National Party, which is a bit of a surprise, has backed it and said, hey, look, this is the best thing to do. We've been seeing what's been happening in Australia. Go hard, go fast. Let's do this. That's a major difference that I've seen. Yeah, it's really interesting to say that because I was reading about the the New Zealand initiative or the New Zealand business blah, 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 whatever the, you know, the, the business mm. lobby, essentially. And they're like, if the Delta comes to New Zealand, and they said this before mm. yesterday, they're like, look, let's get hard, let's like, you know, do this hard and fast. And so even those guys have seen, you know, where New Zealand has come from over the past year and how they've approached it. And they're now like, going, okay, well, let's do that as well. So I totally get that. I mean, I, but I can't, I can't help but think that like it, as things sort of shake itself out over the next sort of, I don't know, I'm going to say at least a couple of weeks of mm. this lockdown mm. level four because of the Delta thing. I mean, what is there anything that you can kind of see that might be different over a period of time? Because we've already had some protests. We've already had some people say, like, COVID thing, not real. I don't know. Whatever the fuck. Can you kind of see any difference, like, over the long run? I'm like, gazing into a crystal ball into the future look i think like firstly yeah we've seen some protesters that's not reflective of the general and wider public most of the public in new zealand are supporting this move to go into a level four lockdown because we know the strength of the doubter we know the harm that it can cause um secondly a difference i think this will make is that we are going to see a more intensive rollout of the vaccines and i think that's really important but something I will say about that and what this recent situation has shown is that being fully vaccinated doesn't actually protect us from spreading COVID-19. And I think that's something that is really important to consider, that even if we are vaccinated, we can still carry the virus. So in, uh, contrary to what uh, Judith Crusher-Collins has been saying, <laughs> that this is a result of us not having the vaccinations faster, well, we'll actually... Um, the evidence is now showing that despite being vaccinated, we can still spread this virus. All right. All right. I'm just going to jump straight to it, right? So there's going to be a time when New Zealand is going to at least start to think about opening the borders. I mean, we had a conversation mm. with this earlier. I think it was like last week. And I was yeah. like, okay, if we do this thing, we're going to open the borders and all the rest of it. But what we're seeing is that elimination... And the current strategy, I mean, is it 
is it like long term viable? Because mm. look, the 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 virus is going to come in here. We're in August of 2021. We're looking at 2022 before we start to open the borders up. Even if we have, you know, let's say like 70 or 80 percent of vi- vaccine uptake. There's still going to be the virus that comes in. Are we going to approach it the same way? When does New Zealand decide to go, all right, stuff it. We're going to start to open our borders up. There's going to be COVID that gets into the country. Versus now where we're still at, you know, only, I think it's like, what, 20 something percent, which is like vaccine. Yes. So we're not anywhere near that yet. Mm. But where does that that change? I mean, I don't don't know about these things. I'm just a random Mm. guy who just arrived in the country about three months ago. So, yeah. Interesting thought. I think, um, I mean, a couple of things on that. Firstly, we've seen the impact that this has had in Australia with them opening their borders. I mean, over 600 cases in New South Wales alone. (laughs) That's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. um, And then another thing, you know, looking at, at, at vulnerable nations like Samoa, for an example. Samoa has decided that they're not going to open their borders until 90% of the population is vaccinated. Sure. Maybe that's that's the way that New Zealand has to go. Again, we know that being fully vaccinated can you can still spread the virus, but it does make it less likely that you're going to have those real negative long term health impacts. Yeah, but from there's the virus. straight up like there's there is the the most sort of interesting part of this discussion, which is that even if you have ninety percent uptake of mm. the, of the vaccine. Being vaccinated doesn't guarantee you're not going to get the virus, mm. as was mm. sort of exemplified today, right? Yeah. So there's got to be a point where old Jacinda and the gang is going to be like, hey, 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 kids, you know what? We're going to open up because you know what? Stuff it. Or are they so risk averse that they just don't? What, I mean, I can't see it. For me personally, looking at this, I'm just like, okay, 20%. All good, low vaccination, up to da 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 da. But like, when we, when we get to ninety percent, people are still going to get the virus. What's going to happen? There's still going to be some amount of hospitalities. So, for example, if it mm. comes to like, like you're not going to get it's like ninety percent effective. Uh, 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 what do you call it? Efficacious, mm-hmm. whatever you know. Um, but like, there's still going to be some virus coming through. Mm. The, the the elimination period, like or the elimination um, strategy, is not going to work forever. What when's when do we turn a, turn a leaf and kind of fucking get on with it? Mm. It's it's definitely you're right. It's definitely not sustainable to keep our borders shut forever. And I think what we have to do is accept that we live in a COVID nineteen world now. The way that we operate is changing and eventually we will open our borders, but that's going to look very different to what it's looked like in the past. So Mike, I'm really interested, like you've spent the last couple of years in Japan Mm. and this is quite a new experience for you being in a full on lockdown. Mm. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's kind of weird actually. Like we, so in Japan, there's been like a locked, like a sort of like this perpetual sort of low hum of like, it's kind of like background noise, like lockdown. There's like just been constant sort of random restrictions about this thing and that thing. Although no one really follows it. There's like, it kind of got a little bit stricter as I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, you know, it was kind of chill. Whereas here, it's a lot more strict. Eh? Like it's just, I mean, it's actually a lockdown. And, and, and most of the people listening to this will understand that, you know, basically what's been going on in New Zealand is a lot more strict than the rest of than mm. the rest of the world. Mm. And I think that's gone it speaks about like how well this 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 um 
the strategy has worked but coming from a from a japanese thing and then like sort of like rubbing against this whole thing it's it's quite kind of jarring i woke up this morning i was like oh wait, i can't go outside shit that's right well i mean mm. i can but i can't um whereas when i was in when we were in the middle of the big lockdown in japan it was when the, the virus first hit off that was in april of last year um tomo-chan and i were in a like a random uh like a ski lodge but it was kind of out of season living in the hills or whatever like we could go wherever we wanted obviously wear a mask and do that mm. whole thing but we could go and get drunk and we could sit in the park and we didn't really care about any of that sort of shit we weren't living in a big city granted but there's a very big difference eh? like here is just like fucking hardcore no you are in the lockdown you don't you can't leave and i think that's kind of interesting for me um psychologically mm. and i think we'll figure out how that's going to go i know that uh tomo chan speaking of her just a little bit stressed about it like it's a bit more of like an intense kind of like feeling um and you guys have all been through this before by the way like it's not new and also the last time you did it was like intense like how many like four weeks or four something? weeks of level four lockdown and then another couple of like level yes, three level so three. basically like six weeks of like a hard Absolutely. lockdown whereas like you know when we were there we were just like you know what i was do you know what i did every day i would go on a three-hour walk in the hills and it was getting sunny and it was right, like lovely and right. i was just like this is the best thing ever yeah for sure and that reminds me actually of another difference between now and the last lockdown the first level four lockdown, it was still like March, April, it was the sun was shining, yeah. it was really warm. I went for walks every day, got really fit, really healthy. Um, now, to be honest, it is a little bit depressing, especially yeah. the, the weather recently. It's been raining, storming, um, but, you know, we have done it. We've done it before, and I do think we can do it again. And I think that New Zealanders know that this is what we need to do to make sure that the Delta variant isn't going to have a really bad impact on us. Can I so. just, there's something really interesting about that, mm, like as an, mm, as an outsider. Mm. So I read about, I mean, I, I keep, like basically, no, I would say like pretty much every day, I'm pretty much every day I'm, I'm, I'm checking the news and stuff from, from Japan because, you know, whatever, I'm coming back, all the rest of it. Yep. And there's really interesting language around how New Zealanders speak about this stuff. It's like, I've gotten a few ticks, stay safe, we'll get through this, you know, like, I hope you're all good, you know, like, this kind of language. Mm. It's like, and I, you know, this team of five million shit, I, I reckon, like, someone's gonna, like, like, carve that on, on fucking Jacinda Ardern's tombstone. It's like... I'd to, be disappointed if they didn't, Yeah, honest. well, to, honestly, to me, this is really interesting. She, by the way, I'm just gonna, like, slowly, like, throw this in there, but... As a person, as a as a an expat living overseas, and mm. you hear this shit, and also by the way, like the listeners probably don't know slash give a fuck, but maybe they do. I don't know. But we tried to come into New Zealand twice. We got turned away mm. for very for like a couple of like basically technical reasons, whatever. Um, but like the idea of the team of five million is so insular, and it like it kind of binds everybody together, and like mm. the language that is being used by by the government and by each other actually like the idea of like stay safe uh, this thing by the way doesn't i don't understand that shit like because mm. i've just come from where COVID is like everywhere and nobody gives a shit about it by the way i already got COVID last year so who cares <laughs> but like that was like the the original strain is sent but at the any, og COVID. <laughs> yeah, fuck. yeah but my, i guess my point large like 
it's like there's a really interesting like language around around COVID. You're so right. Language is so powerful, eh? Well, especially with about the soft stuff. For sure, the stay safe, be kind. I remember when I was a uh, level three lockdown. I was still working, so I was driving to work on the motorways. It was so empty. It was like a ghost town, and I remember seeing the the billboards saying "stay safe and be kind," and that was a message that was like a really. Um, had an impact on us. Mm. And I think like that shows the power of the language that Jacinda Ardern, Ashley Bloomfield has been using, that it really made a difference. It really motivated us to stick together, to stay in our bubbles, to abide by the rules. And I think that's what's got us through. Yeah, I think it's like it's it's bound this country really tightly together. Yeah. The the really interesting thing about that is like as yeah, as I said, like as an out as somebody who's outside it to come into it. Right. Like, everybody's had a COVID story, like, mm. their lockdown story. Right. Like, I, I swear, like, I haven't caught up with... I've been people for, like, years, right? Right. Like we've had a few beers or whatever, and, like, within about half an hour, right. the COVID story comes up. Right. They're like, oh, yeah, this time, and the thing, and the thing, and then I was in the COVID, and the lockdown happened, and then... Like, we like, kind of bound everybody. And so I think it's very interesting um, to see how this whole thing happens. I think, like, this kind of, like from the way that I sense it is kind of take two because previously it's been like a level three or mm. level two or mm. kind of these sort of things. And it'd be really interesting to see how New Zealand sort of like works through. And I say, even the language I'm using, like how New Zealand as a whole moves through. Mm. It's not like even in Australia where it's like New South Wales or Sydney or mm. this part or that part or whatever, you know, um, it will be interesting to see how New Zealand moves through with, with, mm. with this thing. For sure. And something else I just want to slide on in here is, you know, for sure, we all have a COVID story, but I think it's really easy for us in New Zealand to forget that we are actually quite lucky in the position that we've been in compared to others around the world, thinking about people who are in places like Afghanistan, which we're going to move on to next, people who are in refugee camps, who don't have the luxury of being able to actually distance themselves, to get vaccines. Um, yes, people have been stressed. There's been a loss of income. It's been particularly stressful for small business owners. But comparatively to other people in the world, we've been in a pretty blessed situation. 100%. Let's move from one... Well, it's like kind of like a pretty... That was kind of like an uplifting end to like a pretty miserable mm, situation. Uh, yeah. But let's bring everybody right back down to a miserable okay. place to begin with. That's what we're here for. So... Bex, um, there's something else that's been going on in the world. Um, it's pretty massive, actually. And I think it's something kind of close to you. Um, the war in Afghanistan, well, the end, well, the ending, the start of, I don't even know how to look at it. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of close to you and how you, um, see things. Do you want to start off with a brief history of the war? Yeah. So this is something that is really close to my heart. I've done some work in conflict zones and worked with refugees over the last about 10 years, really. So I do just want to give a little bit of a brief history of what's been going on in Afghanistan, what's led up to um, what we've been seeing in the media now. So I guess we'll start with the Taliban. Uh, formed in 1994, you know, they're made up of former Afghan resistance fighters and they formed a religious rule and order over Afghanistan, um, which was in line with a really strict interpretation of Sharia law. So just a few examples of what that meant for people over there. Men were required to grow beards. Women had to wear the burqa. 
the Taliban banned TV, music, cinema, any media, really, coming into Afghanistan. Um, they disapproved of girls aged 10 and over going to school. So this 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 whole stuff mm. had lasted basically for how long? I mean, we're talking about like banning of television, cinema. Mm. I mean, they did some pretty horrendous things. Like I've I've read as well. They've done executions, yes, public executions. I mean, how long did that last? Because not because I mean we have the the war, right? So I mean, what, what happened then? So basically from the early 90s up into 2001, in the wake of the 9-11 terrorist attack, this was going on. And like you alluded to, yeah, there were public executions. Um, People would have their limbs amputated when they were doing things that were going against Sharia law. So a really uh, tyrannical rule over Afghanistan for almost 10 years. I think people know about that the way, like... Mm. I mean, it's been 20 years, mm. but, like, they knew about it, right? Like, they've all seen the weird... I mean, there was some stuff going on in Iraq as well. Yes. Part of the sort of, like, I'm, I'm going to just, like, categorize that shit as basically from the American government sort of, like, justifying their war in Iraq and, 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 and Afghanistan. But, like, they were kind of... You, you, you could categorize it as propaganda, even though it was, like, the truth and stuff. But mm. this is, this happened for, like, several years, and then... And then 9-11 happened. Yes, and that's a really important point. Would the US and international counterparts, would they have invaded Afghanistan and launched the war on the Taliban if 9-11 hadn't have happened? Well, I mean, I can answer that right now. I'd be like, no. Mm. Right? Yes. So while we like to think that, and New Zealand's played a part in this too, but while we like to think that we have done something that is really just and morally right, we have to go back to the intentions of it. Would it have happened if it wasn't a reaction to terrorist threats to the US? Okay, so how did we get involved? Like, what happened? Like, basically, the Americans are like, oh, yeah, shit. Like, let's go and invade a country because we feel kind of fucked up about, like, losing 3,000 people, like, you know, just people dying. Hmm. They're like, let's go and start a war. Yeah, so the US just, they did that just that. They launched a war in 2001. Uh, after September 11, New Zealand, of course, wanted to appease our big brother. So we went in as well. Can I just like, that's that's with Helen Clark, right? Mm. So this is what, 2001? 2001. So Ms. Clark had been elected two years previous in 99 and was like, hey, you know what, shit. I mean, she was, she's, she's Labour, she's left wing. Mm. But she's like, you know, Bush was like, hey, hey, New Zealand give us a hand, we need to go and invade a country. Is that what happened? Pretty much. I mean, you know, New Zealand at the time, they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were rescuing the people of Afghanistan from the Taliban. And they wanted to oust the Taliban. And for a time, they did. For a very short time, they were successful. But what we have today is evidence of a failed 20-year war. So... Fast forward, I don't know, 20 years, mm. like literally 20 years. Um, when, I mean, that war started when I was in high school. Mm. Like, I just started high school. Um, and where are we now? So that's a little bit of the history. Where are we now? Where, where are we sitting? 
Right, so I guess we can start back with Trump. Good old Trump. Yeah. <laughs> so under that guy. the yeah, yeah, that guy. Under the Trump administration, he made, you know, what I would say a dodgy deal with the Taliban that they would withdraw US troops. Um, they didn't actually involve the Afghan military in those negotiations. So right there we have an epic failure of not involving the very thing that could keep Afghanistan safe and stable during this transition. Yeah, okay. So basically what's... I mean, I'm just... I'm hearing that because there's one big piece of the puzzle that I haven't Mm. quite picked up on. But if basically Trump Trump and his... I don't know, his kids were like, hey, we're going to bail out. Let's have a yarn with the Taliban. Let's not include the afghanistan government because actually we don't really care all we care about is like withdrawing that's that kind of what happened and they made a bunch of like weird decisions around that absolutely there's been some benefits for the u.s government some benefits for the taliban a negotiation was made basically that they would withdraw all u.s troops they would start that on the first of may oh, i remember yeah, 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 yeah biden then came into office and what biden has said basically is well, this wasn't my deal, I've inherited this, I may not have worded it in the exact same way, but I have a responsibility to follow it through. Mm. And what Biden said was, well, I'm going to make sure all troops are withdrawn before the anniversary of 9-11. And that's what started to happen. As we know, we didn't expect the Taliban to take over with such force and so fast as they have. What that's meant is that the U.S. troops have had to withdraw even f- quicker to get them out of a really volatile situation. Okay, so what's happening now? Like, so I mean, okay, well, I do. I've been reading. Um, I, I keep pretty close, sort of, you know. I'm un, I, I, I'm in touch with what's going on. I guess um, we've got American just like bailing out. We've got people like jumping on planes and falling off them and dying and like falling into like fucking roofs. We've got basically all of Taliban taking over most of Kabul, apart from the airport. It seems we have the American government, Biden particularly, going, look, we're going to send another two or 3,000 troops in to just secure the airport while we, like, um, have, while we exit the country. Where are we now? Right. So all of those things are happening. Basically, where we're at is that we have a lot of people displaced already who are trying to flee the Taliban. Um, we have people who are not having access to food. So they say that 30% of the population of Afghanistan don't even have food to provide for their families at the moment. We have places like Uganda, who we know is a developing country themselves. They already have, I think, about 1.6 million refugees that they're hosting. And they have stepped up to say, hey, we'll take at least 2,000 refugees It's such a dire situation. Like you said before, people clinging off planes to try and get out of that country. We had around seven people who fell to their death. That's a desperation that, to be honest, I don't think we can even comprehend in New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, those pictures are just Mm. truly horrific. Mm. So we find ourselves in a, I mean, like, I don't think anybody would disagree with the humanitarian crisis, right? Mm. Um. You know, we have we have crises, humanitarian crises all around the world. One of the reasons why I think it might hit home for us particularly is because New Zealand played a role in that. What was New Zealand's role 
and where are we now? That's right. So New Zealand, in a way, we have blood on our hands, in my opinion. So we've been involved in this war over the last 20 years. We've had over 3,500 troops deployed to Afghanistan. That's the longest deployment that we've ever had in history, 20 years. We've even had around 10 um, servicemen uh, pass away in Afghanistan. So we do have a part to play in this. And I think that is a really good question is considering the part that we've played in the war, what part do we have to play in the humanitarian crisis that has now come out of it? So what's New Zealand said so far? What's New Zealand government said around what's... Go- I mean, like, shit, okay. Let's, like, let's just pull back a little bit and be like... Sort of the real summer was going on. Basically, 20-year war. New Zealand... Oh, sorry, not New Zealand. America and all of its allies were never going to win. Hmm. Because they were never there to nation build. They were to get there to get rid of old mate, um, Mr. Terrorist. What's his face? Um, Osama bin Laden. Yeah, that guy. Um, so they were never, never, never there to nation build. Now after twenty years, and also it's never been a popular war. And the same, like the war in Iraq, has never been a popular war. Even in New Zealand, I mean, obviously New Zealand, but New Zealand's also like John Key sent troops, Helen Clark, Jacinda Ardern has like fucked around with these wars. And I get it, like we have an obligation to then and all the rest of it. But like now we're like leaving. Like, what, 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 what is, what's, I mean, what is New Zealand doing now? We've been involved with this war for basically 20 years off and on in various different sort of like ways. And, and New Zealand, New Zealanders have died. What are we doing moving forward? Because we've been a part of this shit. And also, um, there's been like books, uh, fuck, I forget his name. Uh, he wrote a book about this stuff. People like died. Like, families were, like, killed by New Zealand servicemen. And they went in, like, you know, like, New Zealand has an obligation to, like, look after these people. Where where do we sit? It's such a hard question. I mean, and I want to go back to this thing around us, the US, UK, Canucks, etc. Being in Afghanistan for 20 years, what has come of that? We've been there for 20 years, and within a matter of days, the Taliban has taken full control of the country. Yeah. We were supposed to be nation building, capacity building. How is it that after two decades of being in the country, we have not been able to build up the Afghan military to be able to respond to this? That's a question in and of itself. I think going back to your question of how can New Zealand respond to this? What can we do? What can the New Zealand government do? What can us as individuals do? That's something that I think we need to consider. Something that I've been thinking about is firstly those who have helped the New Zealand Defence Force over the last 20 years. They've risked their lives and their safety to help us. And I think the very least that we can do is to support them to be able to come to New Zealand. And that should include their families and in my opinion it should include the extended families as well. So it's the very least that we can do. We know that Jacinda has said that we will support the around 37 identified Afghan nationals that have supported the New Zealand Defence Force. So they have vowed to do that, but that is the very least that we can be doing. I think that for those who have already come to New Zealand from Afghanistan, so you know we take refugees, quota refugees, and over the last 10 years we've had those from Afghanistan come 
And now they're sitting here listening to their family in Afghanistan that they're having to flee the Taliban, that they're trying to flee to the mountains. And that is something else that we can do is ensure that we support those family support visas to get family of people who are already here who are well established in New Zealand to be able to do that. You read about it, you, you watch it on the thing, and it was like, oh, it's fucking depressing. I mean, what am I going to do about it? It is really depressing. But you know what I feel really lucky about being in New Zealand is that we can actually make a difference. Like, we're one of the countries where, because of our small population, we can actually advocate and talk to MPs and make a difference, do something. So there's a few things that I think we can do as everyday Kiwis. I think that we can sign petitions that are already out there to get more refugees to come in. We can email our ministers and say that we want a compassionate response to the Afghan crisis. We know that we have the capacity. We have the funds. Look at the amount of funds that we wasted on America's Cup. What was it? A hundred something, $158 million. Someone million dollars, yeah. That's more than we spend on resettling refugees in a year. Mm. We do have the ability to be able to support these people. I mean, that's a kind of a positive way to end a pretty dark thing to sort of get around. I mean, is, is there anything else you want to talk about? Look, one thing that I'll just add, Mike, is that even though we're facing a COVID-19 crisis here, we don't have to choose between COVID-19 and charity. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. We can respond to what's going on at home, but we can also extend our support beyond our borders. And we can't relate to the level of desperation that people are facing in Afghanistan. We can still, as a country, as an individual, support those that are going through some fucking shitty times right now who are facing the, the, the terror of the Taliban, facing things like executions, things that we would never imagine would happen to us here. Yeah, I mean, we live in, like, the asshole of the world, so, you know, we there's a few more people that can live down here in this warm, mm. sweaty little part of the world with us as well. That's the one. You know. Um, really good, really good stuff. Okay, so... Look, let's try and leave this on a lighter note. Mike, I know you're a trained chef, okay? I was. Well, I mean, I'm a trained Yes, I was a chef and I'm also trained. Well, I do live with you and I have experienced the fruits of your amazing labor in the kitchen. So so no pressure, but I hear you have some cooking tips for us to get through this lockdown. Yeah, I was thinking about this before. I was like, hey guys, you know what? People are buying toilet paper and... Alcohol, flour, staples. I don't fucking know. Was, well, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. People just, like, they buy a bunch of shit because they're like, oh, I need to do something with my life while I'm in the lockdown. Yeah. I was thinking about it. I think this is, like, a really good time. I mean, like, everyone's like, oh, I'm going to start a sourdough thing and all the rest of this sort of shit. I'm like, you know, this is a really good time for people to actually, like, spend a bit of time to spend some, like, I don't know, family time or flatmate time or i don't know self time whatever is sort of like exploring cooking the really good thing about it is we've got like you, I mean, you got like eight hours a day if you really want to spend eight hours a day cooking your one meal or two meals like you could do it i just thought maybe there's a couple of things we could like talk about if you kill with that okay so break it down for us what are some things that we can cook 
while on lockdown. Well, yeah, okay, okay all right, all right, all right. Just, so earlier in the part, I mentioned that, like, you know, Tomo-chan and I got, like, stuck in Japan. We did all sorts of shit. Um, but that got me thinking. I was like, have any of you guys ever made sushi before? Because that is fun. And also, you're like, oh, I need one of those little rolling mats and stuff. Yeah, those are, like, helpful. They're really fucking helpful. But you don't need them. The, the point I'm trying to get at is, like, if you, like, it's totally fun to do. Your whole, like, I don't know, lockdown bubble. Is that what you'd call it? Yeah, sure. It's, I don't know. It's like New Zealand lingo. Bubble. Um, can do it. It takes ages to, to, to do the prep, which is kind of fun. And at the end of it, you got sushi. So basically, what I would say is that I'll tell you some, like, really quick tips. The first thing is get your rice right. So, like, don't buy long grain. Long grain doesn't work with uh, with uh, sushi. You want either medium grain or, or short grain. Ideally, short grain. And when you look up your recipe, make sure it's sticky. What you don't want is, like, some sort of, like, gross, like, podge, like porridge kind of mess or really dry. dry. That, that's, the, that's the most important part. What I would say on top of that is it's really easy. You can use, actually, whatever you've got at home. So if you've got, for example, some medium grain, you've got a little bit of vinegar, a little bit of sugar, a bit of salt, which everybody has, you can totally make sushi. Because basically, in Japanese, what sushi is, is vinegared rice with shit on top of it, basically, all around it. So, you know, you guys at home, you might have heard of nigiri, which is like a little little thing of rice and some fish on top of it or whatever it might be. Totally easy. Just, like, make some sushi rice and then some whack, whack some shit on top of it and call it sushi. Like, it's totally fine. You can totally do that. You don't even need, like, uh, nori or, 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 or seaweed. That's the first thing. The second thing... The second thing, Max, we made some pa- we made some pasta the other day. We did. Yeah, we did. And the thing about it, the thing about it, like, because I'm thinking, fuck, everyone's like goes and buys like four kilos of flour. Like they all come home with like, oh, get get out what I got, you know? And they're like, oh, I'm gonna make some bread. Well, actually, no, make pasta. It's really easy. So the the I'll tell you the the, the quick recipe for a pasta is for one portion of pasta for so for one person, to one cup of flour one egg and a pinch of salt that's it so it sounds really difficult but it's actually very very simple like everyone's like oh fresh pasta it's like some sort of like gourmet shit no it's not it's like a dum-dum can make it i've made it so basically you just add you've got your flour you sieve it so it's nice and aerated and then you add a little bit of like you add your egg to it you add a little pinch of uh of, of uh of salt to it you mix it up and if it's a little feeling a little bit dry just add a little touch of water at a time at a time at a time until it makes a nice like firm dough yellowish kind of dough then you wrap that up and you put it in the fridge you make it you let it rest you got a question there buddy okay so as you know mike i'm not the best in the kitchen yeah all right so the thought of making dough is a little bit scary Mm. so you've mentioned how you make it you put it in the fridge you let it rest but it's a part after that that i've always got wrong it's really easy what happens next okay it's really simple like not everybody has like a pasta machine it so happens in this house we have one. We use it the other day. But if you don't have one, you may have heard of this dish. It's called lasagna. Have you heard of it? I think most Kiwis uh, would say this is a staple in their household. Right. So instead of using like those sheets of like dry pasta, you use fresh stuff. It's really nice. And basically what you do is you pull it out and you, just, you grab a rolling pin and you just like make it nice and thin, as thin as you possibly can. Then you just layer it as you would normal pasta sheets. The other thing you do is, uh, what's that one we, cook, we made the other day? Little rolls of it. We did. 
What's it called? What's oh it called? Oh my goodness, it's like, it's like, oh. it's me. What is it called? Re- uh, not ravioli. No. Although you can make ravioli. Okay, there you go. Here's another, here, okay. It's like, we it's made like, gnocchi too. Yeah, gnocchi. That's another good one. Yeah. Ravioli. Basically what you do is you grab your, whatever you've got in your fridge and you just like make it into little, like sticky kind of like little parcels or whatever, or like little like filling. And then you roll out your, your pasta into little sheets. You put out your little, your, your fillings inside it and then you lay one onto the other and then you just like cut them up and boom, it's done. Okay. So here's a question for you. How can we use what we already have in our cupboards so that we're not having to queue up with all the punters at Pack and Save? Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is a really good question, right? So you buy the basics. So like anybody who would buy kind of like... <laughs> this is really the next question. <laughs> um, <laughs> anybody who would buy like... So you know when you when you know when you um like do the Hello Fresh or whatever, and you, like you get this whole set of like ingredients that are like designed for one meal. Mm. You got to start the other way around. You got to buy like a bunch of like random things and then work way backwards. And so what I would say is like keep real like keep your shopping super vague. So like stock is a really good one, right? Um, root vegetables because they keep forever and they're really good and from there you can use any of those things for whatever i just said like for example like if you've got carrot and onion you could totally use that for sushi onion is a bit weird but you can't use it (laughs) but you can try to you can try to does that make sense like you just go for the basics don't buy like a really specialized thing because like you know if you buy like a a good broad spice range or a good broad amount of like baking goods and stuff then you don't have to like play around with it too much Okay, gotcha. So shop simple, keep it broad. Keep it broad. My next question for you, kitchen wars, okay? We're already going to be locked down with the same people for at least a week. Cooking with a partner or a flatmate can be a pretty volatile situation. Well, my experience has been anyway. I've had a few fights back in my day. Any suggestions for making sure that we don't kill each other in the kitchen? No. (laughs) No, I don't. Because I was just thinking, like, oh, shit. There are some people who just, no. Like, it's just, you just steer well clear of them at, and you just don't want to get involved. So you're saying that solo kitchen adventures are the way to go? Lockdown? Actually, this is what I would do. If I was, so if I was, let's say I was working with somebody else in a kitchen, in a domestic kitchen, not a commercial kitchen, where you have to get along, you know, have to do it properly. And it, and it just like at home or whatever, you've got a you've got a you've got a um, a uh, a recipe, and you split up tasks, right? So for example, I might be on let's say pans. I'm gonna be doing because usually there's like a little bit of pan prep. Somebody's cutting some shit. So like, all right. So for example, like Bex, I hate working the kitchen with you, buddy. So you go work on that side of the kitchen and cut some carrots while I work on this side of the kitchen and I saute some, saute some onions. You know what I mean? Like, and you just got to separate out like that. That's what I would say. But otherwise, no, there's no fucking... You okay, can, you look, deal with it, buddy. I'm hearing that some negotiation skills would be handy. Maybe so. something that the Trump administration could have um, done well with. Yeah, well, they've done a great job, haven't mm. they? So I'm going to Trump. I wonder if Trump could cook a, like a, an egg sunny set of like sunny set up. Something. I would love to know that. I'm gonna hit him up. I got contacts. It's all good. Okay, team. That was Dirty Dirty Talk. And if you got any feedback, if you want to let us know about anything, also we want guests on our show. So if you're interested in coming on the show and having a chat and dirty dirty talking, 
Yeah, you like that one. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, hit us up. Somehow, you'll find a way. Um, otherwise, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Kia ora.